it's the first advent. Uh, it's the first of December, twenty twenty. Um, Donald Trump is just another thirty days in office. No, it is not the most important thing. But welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks. Yeah, and um, yeah, we 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 thought we're gonna do things a little bit different this time. I uh, haven't really done it a little bit different, but we got a really cool guest. Um, somebody that's a colleague of the man with the rockets on the inline skates who hasn't decided to put rockets on his inline skates, but um, I think we discovered the coolest lockdown gadget so far. Um, In my opinion, yes. Yeah, but uh, do, don't don't give it away no, too early. No, you have to listen to the episode because... Don't give it away too early. I, I'm really curious if... I'm, I would like to hear... Actually, all you listeners out there, I would love you to go back on the LinkedIn page, Uptime Punks, and Officially. tell us what is your... Favorite lockdown favorite. gadget. Lockdown gadget. Can you beat Benjamin's lockdown gadget? I mean, <laughs> it is just like... Oh, my. You were... It's it's smart. It is not like bombastic or so, but I think it is. It's so random. It's but not. Anyway. I think it's not random. I think it's actually really well thought. I think it, it's actually one of those things where I think it's really an add-on, and at the same time, it's like really simple. And if you think of it, it's so obvious that you should get one, especially in these times. But yeah, you yeah. should have one, anyways. Yeah, everybody should have one. And then yeah, if you can anyways, put it on no, your... Uh, anyway. No, yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the rest of the episode is about the magic of data. Um, Formula uh, One, Lewis Hamilton, why he won again and again and again. <laughs> and how Dell Technologies has the hands in the Formula everywhere. One. Yeah, everywhere. 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 Um, and for everybody wondering what does the head of enterprise do, I ask him, yes, Dell MC... EMC, what do you guys do in the enterprise business? So he gave us a really great overview um, and some use cases, which is really great. Um, mm-hmm. Spoke about digital transformation. And yeah, anyways, should we, Tim, what, I didn't ask you, what's your favorite Christmas song? I will, um, I actually know what it is, but I will keep it for the next episode because I. I, I oh, come on, man. No, 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 no. You need no, to give us one now. We, we still have the whole uh, month. No, you need to give us one now. There can be one every time. So okay, my my very first favorite Christmas song is actually, and um, I want to outline this that I'm perhaps the only uptime punk having a punk song as his favorite Christmas song. It is for the Brits, um, the Kinks. Father Christmas is the title, and it's from the Kinks, the Kinks who are a very underrated. Brit pop rock uh, group from about the same time as the Beatles. So before my generation, um, and there's all good music I listened to. It is um, uh, it was my father who inspired me to. And the song is about yeah, it's Father Christmas, and basically it's about uh, a poor boy who beats up other boys for his uh, for their Christmas presents. But there's a moral to it, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Is it called the Kings or the Pinks? No, Kings. K I N K S. The Kings, like yeah. Kinky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's only. Oh, it's a nice, like, little. You can't play this, mate. It's, 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 it's copyright. <laughs> well, I can play five seconds. Anyways. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We might get sued. 
Okay. Um, it looks interesting. The guy has a mustache almost like me. Well, mine looks much better than that. But anyway, everybody enjoy the episode. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're in the world. Welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks. Um, we have a really special guest with us, another um, co-host, I would say, because he even has his own podcast. Benjamin uh, Krebs from Dell EMC. How are you, Benjamin? Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to everybody there. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, I'm looking very much forward to this uh, episode of Uptime Punks with you. Yeah, I think it's uh, our first time for me and Tim that we have somebody with us that actually hosts his own um, podcast, which we're going to get into in a little bit, because um, he, you guys are doing something which is really great. Um, we spoke a little bit about what kind of guests you have, but I, of course, we also want everybody else to know what kind of guests you have, because uh, apparently even some police officers come there and talk about how they use tech. So um, always interesting. But um, yeah, should we just get started then? Uh, Benjamin, um when did you get your first mobile phone? Well, that's uh, quite a long time ago. Uh, it was uh, 1999. Uh, and I actually was uh, thinking if I still have the first contract that I signed somewhere in my paperwork buried, I don't know. Um, but but uh, I know that uh, my first mobile phone I got there was a uh, Nokia 3210. Uh, I mean, the ones of you that have used that phone still remember it. Uh, very good battery life, <laughs> very simple Play. display, and uh, you could talk like four hours. Yeah, and the good old Nokia. Yeah, well, Nokia came up with some with some newer phones now, but I don't think it's the. They, I think they missed the train, but that's a different uh, conversation. <laughs> because, but yeah, uh, did you remember your first contact with uh, computers? Um, was it when you uh, studied, uh, when you went to university, or um, when was your first contact with computers? Actually, it was uh, way before that. It's uh, it's the bad example for my kids. I got in in contact uh, with computers for uh, gaming, <laughs> so um, and <laughs> and the first one. Actually, I I don't know exactly the year. It must have been like nineteen ninety one or something like that. Um, and it was a I re very well remember the name. It was a Commodore C one hundred twenty eight D. So um, actually, it was the the successor of the very famous C64, which was the first uh, computer for many, many people out there. And and it was still with these, I don't know, those of you who remember it, these, these big five and a quarter um, uh, flexible disks that you had to stuff in there. I mean, really uh, fun, fun uh, thing to use. And I think it had an and an awesome amount of 128 KB of RAM. <laughs> so that was my first computer. Oh, wow. And and what was your favorite computer game growing up in your teens? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually, actually, uh, on on this one, I don't really remember um, what I was playing, but I remember the first game that really got me like hooked. Where I was really, I really loved that because I, I, and it was on a on a higher computer, so I only could play it when uh, I visited a friend of mine. But it was. Um, uh, Day of the Tentacle, like the successor of Maniac Mansion. Does anyone remember that out there? Well, anyway, it was a great, <laughs> it was the really great game. <laughs> Look it up. It's it's still today. It's fun to play. 
for, for, for me, it was Edge of Empires and Command and Conquer Red Alert. And then, I, of course, I knew all the cheats. And, oh uh, yeah, I, I remember when I was playing FIFA. It was FIFA '95, and um, the, the 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 referee wasn't able to give you a red card if you fouled somebody. <laughs> so when I was playing against somebody else, I would just kept them fouling them and running to the goal. But um, yeah, Very the good. first days of computers. Um, so is, is that then what got you into the industry? Because I mean, um, looking at your career, I mean, you're now the general manager of Enterprise Germany for Dell EMC. Um, was that, do you make then your passion your job or how did you get into it? Um, actually, that was not the way. I was uh, more by accident, if you will. So um, uh, when I uh, when I finished school and, and I was looking for what, where to study, what to study, um, I uh, got a couple of options and uh, in the end um, were lucky enough to be able to do a dual studies with a company um, which is headquartered quite close where I come from, which is Siemens, a big company there. And um, uh, the dual studies program there was to, um, yeah, I, I uh, was studying Bachelor of Business Administration. So um, I uh, was chosen for a department actually back then. And the department was Fujitsu Siemens computers. So I had the opportunity um, to uh, get around in different departments there and i've even built uh computers back then when they still had the the factory in augsburg so i've i've really put computers together in the factory back there and wow. whatsoever so yeah i went went through different departments and uh, yeah decided that the technology sector is the one to stay for or to stay in and um yeah this is where my uh, it career started and since then, had a couple of uh, various uh, companies where I um, was uh, employed and uh, working for. And uh, now, since uh, over 10 and a half years uh, with uh, EMC and Dell Technologies. Wow. Uh, but, but, you're not, but you're not as um, as gifted as Florian, who put uh, rockets on his inline skates when he was six years old. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, have you tried fun. something similar I, as well? Actually, actually, it was funny. I, I was listening to that uh, podcast episode of yours, and it really sounded funny and very dangerous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm not as crazy or as gifted as Florian, uh, how you want to put it, um, and put rockets on my uh, roller skates. No, I didn't do that. I did some crazy stuff with roller skates back then, but uh, no rockets. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like this pattern, you know, senior management at Dell. Everybody seems to have experimented with computers at some point of their youth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's great because it just shows that that you guys, like all of you, um, just like you know everything from computers fundamentally from the beginning, which means, like you said yourself, you even used to put computers together yourself. I mean, um, it's, it's not just somebody who is preaching something you actually know how it gets done and that's that's the beauty about it which shows that you actually have the knowledge of what you're talking about yeah but um yeah so w would you consider yourself more of a hardware guy or more of a software guy um wh where do you see where, where do you think is the this is one of tim's sorry tim that i took the question out of your way but uh, tim always likes to ask this question which is like uh, what do you think is more important the hardware or the software i'm i'm very much of a software guy actually um uh <laughs> Well, software that runs on hardware. So, um, I mean, I think in the end, uh, the all the hardware is required to um, run good software on top of it. And I mean, when I'm when I'm looking at at uh, what I was doing uh, in the industry so far, um, all of the solutions and products that I was selling, they the the value that was in them was 
actually created by um, by the the software that was on it. And I mean, when I remember back in my startup times when I joined Data Domain, um, I mean, it, it was a it was a hardware box, but what it made but it made it really special was the software that did this crazy deduplication technology, which made it the first time really possible to put backups instead of tape onto hard disk and make it affordable. So I think uh, software is always the key. And if you put it together with the right hardware, so you get good stuff. Okay. Um, and then, of course, um, another question is what everybody always wants to know. The podcast is called Uptime Punks. Um, from a professional as well, from a private point of view, how would you define the term uptime? What is uptime to you? Well, look, I mean, uh, I think uptime in these days more than ever is is when, when you have an online connection and uh, when you have, I mean, in Germany, it's you're, you're not, all of you are not in Germany, but in Germany, it's oftentimes a special thing to have for an ongoing time, also phone signal across everywhere <laughs> you drive, right, or whatever. So this is, uh, this is for me, uptime. And, and I think um, now in these days where we are working a lot also um, remotely, then, I mean, uh, a connection to a Zoom conference or whatsoever is really being on uptime and having this interrupted interaction with people around you. Um, and uh, I think that also needs to be uh, distinguished uh, from uh, your... I don't want to call it downtime, but maybe offline time and 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 relaxing time. And I think, um, yeah, especially now, it's very important we take us these times where you don't carry your cell phone around or you just don't have these online connectivity because it it helps you a little bit to switch up. Yeah, that's true. I, mean, I think it was. <clears throat> I think his main struggle for everybody was with working from home is to just have that switch off time. But believe me, you're not alone in Germany because me and Tim we sit in central London and we already had two occasions where there was no internet at all. Okay. Um, so yeah, it does happen. Every time there's another lockdown, there's no internet for a day. So we know this by now. There's a pattern. Um, but yeah, um, what, what would you say was so during lockdown, everybody somehow discovered for himself like a so called COVID gadget, which kept somehow the sanity. Um, for me, it was the smart bulbs. For some people, it was a Kindle. Uh, what would you say personally was it for you that you purchased during your um, during a lockdown period that uh, you think was like that's that's what kept me sane. That's what kept me alive. Hmm sane and alive i mean i think look i mean the, the, what kept me during that time the most sane and alive was uh, actually my family i would say and my kids okay. i mean i have little kids they, these are really they they don't care right they, they just keep you safe um and 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 sane i suppose um but on a on a toy stuff or or i mean like gadget stuff i would say i had i had a couple of things um Maybe I mean I know the, the the listeners can can see it, but one thing that I got I can just quickly show it to you. <laughs> this is uh, something which is maybe a strange thing. It's air quality sensor. So since I'm oh. I'm working now a lot in a closed room, if you will, so I got these uh, cool air quality sensors, which uh, I can then have a look at, uh, and and they tell me when the air quality isn't as good and. Um, um, I, I, I guess I guess it was a prime example of uptime. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Benjamin showed us his air quality time, uh, air, um, air oh, what's it called? Air quality purity. Sensor, exactly. Air exactly. purity quality sensor. And yeah. then um, 
while um, Dick Hicks decided to pull the cable. No, um, yeah, exactly. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> so this one, this one, I got uh, during uh, during the lockdown uh, lockdown just to know and remind me when I need to, uh, to get fresh air into the rooms where I'm working in. And then also um, together with my uh, son, I got a remote controlled car, which I really love to drive, like. Um, out in the nature and make it jump and whatsoever it's like it's my uh yeah childhood uh um yeah reminders dream <laughs> exactly exactly i really love that and and also i got um some little upgrades for my barbecue which of course i mean when you um yeah you uh, cook a lot more at home this is very useful to have so yeah there you go Oh wow, that's yeah. that's that's great. That's great. That must be one of the most um cool gadgets actually that um that, that we've ever had on the podcast the air quality sensor because it is it is digital but it's also so connected to the offline world right yeah. it's not just something you you put your uh, your attention in and then um you go you go digital but um yeah so um i think it's i think it's my favorite um so far um right. another one which is really cool is that is is um andreas weiss who, who just said uh, I don't really buy gadgets, but um, <laughs> but I have a Leatherman since ten years, and once I lock myself out, and my Leatherman got me back in my flat because I could break into my own house with the Leatherman. <laughs> okay, so actually, the thing is, the offline gadgets are still kind of the best. I also like your um, remote remote car. Is it like a buggy? Um, yeah, exactly. It's like a buggy, nice. and then we, yeah. we get into the in, into the shop and could really we said, look, I mean, we we want to do some crazy stuff with it, so, so it needs to be robust and whatsoever. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, I have the right thing for you, and it's it's really good. We can make it jump and whatsoever, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't break. So that's exactly the thing that we needed. Cool. <laughs> I, th I think I, I'm, I'm just curious to know what Florian would do to that little air purifier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Installing rockets on it. <laughs> Make it fly. <laughs> he would connect it or to have it, like... Or have it autonomously driving, right? So you don't need to remote <laughs> control it anymore. Yeah, it opens up the windows. He would connect it to his smartphone and every time the air gets too... Uh, to his smartphone, every time the air gets too bad, the windows open at automatically. And of course, it would be run with Kubernetes. Yeah, there we go. There we yeah, go. <laughs> very good. But uh, yeah, um, we, we we scratched it already a little bit at the beginning. So um, Benjamin, you guys also well, you're a host of a podcast. Um, yes. Tell us more about the podcast. What's the well, name? Look, Where can people find it? What's it all about? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's called Road to Twenty Thirty, and um, yeah, it's a, a podcast of Dell Technologies in Germany. Um, actually. I'm uh, yeah uh, co-hosting it. So one episode I record, then another one a colleague of mine records it together with um, uh, two other colleagues. So it's it's about how our life shapes up for 2030. Actually, so it's it's not about really IT and technology. It's more about the impact that technology and different topics in the tech industry um, do really have on our daily lives and will have on our future for 2030. So, I mean, there's a lot about um, diversity, female in technology, great female role models that we have also in Germany, like TJ Nonneron, like Aya Jaff, a great programmer um, out of Germany. 
she was on there. And we had also the founder of Outfittery, Julia Bösch. Um, it was also a great episode where um, we talked about, well, how Outfittery um, works and, and how she founded it and why it's so successful and uh, what the what the impact of the lockdown was on uh, actually The, which uh, fashion items sold better than before. And so it's a, a very interesting <laughs> topic. Um, yeah, I mean, just in a, as an example, she said, yeah, it, it's, it's caps that sold much more. And I didn't know why caps, I mean, like base caps, right? And then she was like, until I figured, well, uh, as the haircutters were closed, uh, people had to put on their base caps. So, yeah, stuff like that. And uh, also, um, you, you mentioned it beforehand in your intro. We had also someone... Um, from the federal crime agency in our podcast um, talking about cyber uh, crimes and how data can be protected and whatsoever is also very cool autonomous driving i mean really really things that and artificial intelligence like really things that impact our lives and and we talk about how these impacts um, go and how it will look like in 2030 and of course also the personal experience of our guests so you can find it on the usual channel spotify um uh, just looking up dell technologies and road to 2030 and of course also all the other um, podcast uh, channels that you may find out there Wow. Um, so, so where do you see yourself in 2030 then, technology-wise? What do you think is going to happen? Are you going to... Um, well, we asked Florian the same thing. And yeah. Florian said, well, cars will not be ready by then. Um, but, but how do you see it yourself? Where do you see it's 2030? Are you going to wake up in the morning, press a button, little robot's going to come, bring you a cup of coffee, um, and then you sit in front of a computer and then it drives you to work? Or... Um, How futuristic you think 20 how much is going to change in the next 10 years i i think i think it's beyond imagination what all will change i mean if i'm if i'm looking into that that i mean uh, autonomous drones will be ready to, for individual transport potentially also starting 2025 already um, that will have a massive impact right um, if i'm looking at at what artificial intelligence does to our lives and where it's built in um, how that all evolves is incredible but uh, actually i think if i would really have the imagination of 2030 already i i would be extremely um Yeah, wise, because you, you just can't project how things evolve. Nobody could have projected how 2020 turns out, right? So um, th there will be massive impacts on our life that we don't dream about. Just one example, we when we talked about artificial intelligence together with Denise van der Weyer, um, she was like, in 2030, 85% of the jobs that will exist there have not been invented today. So I don't know what I will be doing in 2030 because it might be something completely different from what we're doing today. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, what, what my point is, I'm, I'm really looking forward in shaping um, this future together with some of the companies that we work, um, some of the uh, partners that we work with, and of course, our employees. And I mean, just in regards to the future of, of uh, autonomous driving, I definitely believe that uh, cars and legislation will be ready by then. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, and then, okay, then um, here comes the challenging question from my end. Um, 
this is something we discussed with Dr. Peter Koch. I think it was our first episode. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry for the Bavarian slang, but either missed how from Hatan Rechenzentrum, which basically means every shit pile is going to have a data center. Um, so, do you think is that how it's going to work with the data? I mean, how are you going to process all these data of these cars driving by themselves? What's going to be yeah. the solution? I mean, you say yourself, Germany. Did it, I mean, Germany, beautiful country, well ahead in everything, but. A lot of people that come from Germany, live in Germany, or have been to Germany, have realized you land in Munich airport, beautiful, you get in the car, you still have a full signal, you call somebody, yes, I just landed, then you start driving into Munich. The second you reach somewhere by Allianz Arena, boom, no signal. Yeah. Um, this is just uh, to give you a prime example of where technology has reached. And do you think then the infrastructure is ready for something like this in 10 years? Uh, you know, I I don't think that just keeping the example of an uh, of an autonomous car, I don't think that an autonomous car can be dependent on an online connection. Um, I don't think that that's what it will be looking like. Um, again, I'm not the the I, I don't know it exactly, but I can't think of being dependent on an online connection for such a thing to work because it will it would make it also much more vulnerable to attacks from outside right so um you you would need a a, a device a car um that is self-sufficient to do autonomous driving um without any online connection and without the necessity to be transmitting data over a certain mm, a network that is uh yeah nationwide or, or globally um i'm pretty sure that these cars will transmit data and exchange data with their environment um and many things in their environment because there might be stuff built into the the um, autobahn right um, highway in germany or there will be stuff built into the other cars of course that will receive and transmit data and exchange data with with each other um uh, but there will also be uh, a lot of power to process within this uh, car. So, I mean, you have so many sensors in a car already today. You have so much data in a car already today. I think a lot of this will be processed within the car and made sense out of it just while it drives. So I don't think you will be dependent on, a, on an online connection for that. Mm -hmm. So the car will become its own edge data center. Yeah, in a, in a uh, way. definitely. Yeah. And do we still need 5G for that or do you think it is uh, Someone told me someone told me just last week I think they have already launched their first 6G satellite somewhere um anyway <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I mean 5G of course it, it it is very important um and it will be a very important uh, standard of uh, uh transmitting data but um I don't think that this is the the, the absolute um, yeah necessity uh, to make uh, an autonomous car drive autonomously and i mean we have uh, i have just read also uh, in last week's uh, uh, paper in germany that um, bosch has already launched their own 5g network on campus so i think um, uh, in mm -hmm. in these environments you will have a, a you have a closed um, and a limited area you will have a very uh, or can also have uh, technology to be dependent on such uh, networks, but not on a nation, on a national or even global level. Yeah, but doesn't this make us really like um, dependable? Um, as we have all seen now during lockdown, internet is gone. We think our yeah. whole world is falling apart. So it's the same way. If you get in your car, I mean, I, 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 <clears throat> I mean, I see it with myself. 
Um, I I don't remember anymore. Well, now because during lockdown I started cycling and everything in London. But prior to this, when I was driving, I just put something in the sat nav and that's it. And mm. this just shows how dependable we are on technology. And don't you think this is getting to an area then where it's like, well, you don't do anything by yourself anymore. You just um, you wouldn't even find your way to the supermarket down the road anymore if you just get in your car and you press. Or you go like, hey, Google, and then Google pops up and you say, um, take me to the next supermarket, and then it just drives. Um, yeah. Isn't it a bit scary? All the like privacy, how you let, well, all this data is going to be recorded somewhere. And it's going to be uploaded at some point. And then you're going to have this heat maps, like you have it on Garmin. This is where everybody runs. This is where yeah. everybody cycles. Yeah. And you're going to have the same for the cars. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're bringing two points together here, um, which which are important, and I think each of them also separately important. Uh, one is the dependency in general on technology. Um, I think our lives get, of course, more and more dependent on technology, and I think it's something that comes with progress that we are pursuing also. And um, still, I think it's the choice of everybody to either do this and go this way or or not do it and don't go this way. I mean, nobody will be forced to use an autonomous car if he or she doesn't feel well by using it. Um, but if it's convenient enough, many will do it. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, you've touched on a point which is uh, data privacy and also I think the value of data. And that's something um, that I think is, is uh, for us very important to really consider and also educate um, our children about, right? Because um, it's something that is more and more built into our lives. And I think everybody needs to understand that um, giving away data is, is, is a certain piece of privacy that everybody needs to decide for themselves if they want to do it or not. And um, yeah, um, again, be also educated about that topic. Right. Is this something you talk about in your podcast as well? I remember you saying that you've done a couple of episodes with um, yeah. educational um, professional or education professionals. Or do you have any outlooks on how tech education should or will look like in 2030? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's always 10 years ahead is always a, a long time to project, but uh, we see um, interesting developments in the in the education sector also. Um, and, and, and sometimes we see a faster development um, in what is being invented or created by what is being adapted or can be adapted. I mean, just one funny story out of um, uh, an episode that we shot um, was and um, the first digital or fully digital um, learning book that was created for school in Germany. Um, well, in, in order to be um, to be released into schooling practice, um, you need to undergo a, an approval process, and the approval process requires uh, the book to be printed out three times. I mean, <laughs> a, f a fully digital <laughs> studying book, right? Right. So um, yeah, there you go. Uh, it creates its own challenges, but I think um, we're in a good we're in a good way of of uh, changing things. And of course, also this lockdown situation um, uh, did fast forward a lot of uh, digital development, also in the uh, in the educational sector. I see that with my kids. 
um, first lockdown phase. They then all implemented a, a study from home methodology, and uh, well, they they got used to it and, and well did a virtual classroom with their classmates just over video chat, right? Which was also cool stuff, and they collaborated on different creative projects and whatsoever. So, um, yeah, uh, a lot of interesting things in that sector ahead. Sure. Do you have any other um, debates or topic that emerge um, because of these corona situations um, that you feel are very important, but perhaps not talked about enough? Because um, I see always we celebrate so much that now digitalization finally got its um, it's tempo, it's getting up and at speed in many companies mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily do it, which is a good thing in many ways. Yeah. I, I don't I don't doubt that. I mean, we work on tech ourselves. It's a, it's a good thing, doubtless. Um, but perhaps there are some things that are overlooked or not talked enough about or just other topics that are as important, but you feel don't get enough attention. Do you see some, some of these as well? I mean, I think there are many um, topics attached to that. Um, I think also a challenge that that I've seen. Um, I mean, I interact a lot with customers and with partners, and of course also with my employees. And I think um, one of the most interesting topics to see and understand is that um, whilst everybody's now working remotely and you come together for your meetings and you're doing like I don't know eight nine hours of yeah video sessions a day. Um, I think you still need to make sure that you maintain these these um, I would say like informal contacts and conversations, whether that being again with customers where you we we had things where we organized with customers a virtual lunch, so we would kind of we would yeah call delivery services in the different cities where different people are. Everybody gets their lunch at the same time, and then and then we had lunch together in front of the computer and just we're talking about yeah normal stuff like uh, when you do that, or also um, with my teams when I when I um, implemented an espresso session, which uh, I, I just said look let's take in the morning half an hour and uh, together with five five other people out of my team and just just yeah like if you meet in a in your office or in another place and have a coffee together let's have that virtually together and and not with a certain business topic to discuss but really like yeah what's on your mind how you're feeling what you're dealing with and and there you find of course that everybody has different uh, challenges which are associated with working from home i mean you have the ones that that uh, when the kids couldn't go to school had kids to take care of the kids and work in parallel you have others um, who are living alone who i mean kind of want to go out and meet friends and people all the time and if you cannot do that then you're limited in that factor so that's why we also need to take care of the social aspect of work and um, yeah that's that's uh, much harder um, when you work remotely yes definitely i mean i i've spent half an hour um, on zoom talking about Sorry to my employer. Um, talking about the next series um, to watch with 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 a colleague from from marketing, yeah. when we perhaps really should have talked about the next campaign. But um, yeah, I see. I, I totally see what you mean. And in the end, it's it's all those little things that make you um, 
that they make you a colleague and they make also a company because it's more than just yeah. work, 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 work and meetings and all that. And I think, yeah, to summarize what you said, I think it's about also re-evaluating re our social um, links and contacts and, yeah. and how they're important to our lives. And yeah, I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful debate um, that we should be leading as well. Absolutely. Right back to back to Paul. <laughs> <laughs> now it's I, I think it's I think it's interesting because like um, there's something where we see is not just when it comes to data but to everything in life. I think that it's becoming an educational process of passing it on between generations. Yeah. Um, a, a topic we speak about very often is um, <clears throat> is of course renewable energy, then also green IT, all of these things. I think you guys at Dell are also trying to do a lot of these things in this direction, trying to help yep. some of your clients. Mm -hmm. um, but it comes back to just educating the younger ones, the generations to follow on how to use things, and even if it's data or even if it's separating the garbage at home. Yeah, yeah but, absolutely. Um, so. Um, <laughs> Where do you think, as a Dell MC, um, where do you think you guys have made the, the most progress in the last couple of months? Because, of course, you had to step it up a little bit due to the fast. Now it was a fast um, digital push, right? Yeah. Let's Absolutely. call it like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I speak to people in the data center business, they will say, well, we had to do 10 years of work in six months. Because mm. basically a lot of people needed to upgrade, everything came to a limit, and yeah. um, um, I know that you can't probably can't give us figures and things, but from a personal perspective, how do you see? Um, do you think it was a how many like it was a massive growth for you guys in terms of demands from your client side and everything? And where were the challenges? Um, did yeah. you have any challenges? Because a, a lot of people got to the limit at some point. Yeah, Maybe you can share some of that. Of course. I mean, happy to do so. Um, I mean, if, if you can see, I think, also, um, uh, when you look at the numbers, and I mean, we are publishing our results, um, that uh, that uh, just, um, I think, uh, last week, um, the Q3 numbers were published, and we managed to grow our overall revenue um, which is a very positive sign in these uh, times, and we also managed, um, yeah, to 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 keep our costs under control um, during that uh, same time, which is, I think, a phenomenal achievement and result. And if you dig a little bit deeper into it, then you see, of course, there is differences in the various um, lines of businesses that we all have, and um, you can clearly see that. Working from home, of course, um, created a massive demand of of mobile devices, of um, yeah, of course, also commercial PC devices because our our customers needed to get their people being productive also from home. And like you were saying beforehand, there many of them did I don't know multiple years of digitalization in a couple of months of digitalization, which was um, of course a big um, yeah challenge for us to cope with um, to make all these um, digital initiatives with our customers also a reality. Um, I mean, we had yeah, governments that uh, needed to be working from home with uh, 10,000 of people that didn't ever work from home or whatsoever. So where we have, but also for ourselves, I mean, um, uh, you know that um, we have um, over 100,000 uh, employees around the world and, and most of them needed to be capable of 
working from home. So it was a similar challenge um, also for our IT. I mean, we were a bit more prepared, I would say, because um, yeah, we had we had this uh, flexibility in many parts of our business also beforehand. But um, of course, not like I don't know ninety percent of the population now working from home. So it was also a big challenge for us, and um, from a technology perspective, but also from a um, personal uh, perspective for you know the different team leads and managers that weren't necessarily um yeah used to managing their teams remotely um they needed to undergo a very steep learning curve throughout that time and um, i think it it brought us as a company forward um from technology and also from a culture cultural aspect um aspect so yeah was an interesting time and still is yeah it's, 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 i mean it's the same for us from events perspective because we yeah. normally run events and um I mean, everybody was talking about, oh, we have to do digital things a year ago. Everybody was like, ah, nonsense, no yeah. need it. And, and, and I think it's the same also with a lot of businesses where it was like, oh, we need to invest in digital infrastructure. Uh, why do we need info, digital infrastructure? Well, because so people can work from home. Yeah, but we only have 10% that work from home or work yeah. remote. So we don't yeah. really need to invest in it. And then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, boom, now you need to do it. And um, yeah, teams definitely, I feel like teams grew much closer during this period of time because... Um, I, I think everybody got to see um, individual team members' homes, even sometimes family members, <laughs> which is, of course, unavoidable if you have kids, yeah. for example. Animals, kids, whatsoever, child, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the child will run in the room and go, Daddy, Daddy, who is that on the screen? And uh, yeah. yeah, then you say hello. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I, I think COVID definitely brought everybody a little bit closer together. Um, Absolutely. So as... <clears throat> so in, in terms of enterprise solutions, um, so... From Dell, from Dell's perspective, um, so so when it comes to enterprise solutions, what kind of solutions do you guys offer to your clients? If somebody hears Dell, people will think maybe about the laptops, uh, maybe think about the infrastructure. But um, where does the enterprise solution come into the equation for somebody that doesn't know about Dell's enterprise solutions? Yeah, okay. I mean, look, that's a that's a broad perspective. Um, I, I would say, I mean, uh, basically. Um, yeah. everything from an from an end user device that you just outlined right whether it being monitor peripherals laptop and whatsoever then all across the way through network uh, sd one and whatsoever down um, to the big infrastructure backbones where which are in the data center like of course servers storage backup systems uh, hyperconverged solutions um software um i mean uh, vmware is part of their technologies the virtualization technology that we all use network virtualization right um so uh, actually i mean dell technologies is really spanning the whole it need that um, you can imagine uh, for a company so um in the enterprise uh, segment that you were mentioning, it's it's we have many customers that are really spanning from across um, all of these just mentioned aspects, right? Yeah. So uh, Benjamin, um, b before the internet got disconnected again because somebody <laughs> pulled a cable somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, maybe you can explain to everybody that's listening um, a little bit more about um, Dell in terms of enterprise services. What you guys ex exactly do. Um, yep. Yes, it starts from the laptop till the server, but maybe you can give everybody a little bit of insight of your daily life and uh, what you guys do with Dell Enterprise Services. 
Yeah, actually, I mean, look, uh, running the enterprise segment in Germany means um, that that um, we have bundled the top 1% of the customers that we have as Dell Technologies in Germany uh, into one segment. And um, actually, it's the biggest segment um, that we have in Germany. And um, I mean, it, it spans whatever you can imagine about um, that uh, digital solutions or also digital business models our customers need. And as you mentioned, it, it starts maybe with a laptop or peripherals like uh, monitors or whatsoever, but it goes then across the whole networking thing, SD-WAN. Um, it goes into the data center where you have the servers and the storage solutions where you have software that you run to virtualize all of that. VMware is a part of Dell Technologies. You have uh, backup and recovery solutions. You have cyber security solutions, which are air-gapped solutions, so you can't be attacked. Um, there is um, uh, so many aspects to our business that um, that we cover. Basically, anything that you can think about, IT and digitalization within uh, an enterprise customer, um, we cover and touch. And well, I mean, that that makes um, our daily life. Um, it's the interaction with customers. It's to understand what, what their problems, what their uh, challenges are that they're facing, whether that being in, in just becoming more agile or just becoming more cost efficient or even going into complete transformation of their business model. We we run things like challenger programs with our customers where we uh, help them to challenge their own business model, their own way of how they approach things. And, and we give them impulses from other uh, customers that we have or other industries that we have on how to transform in order to be ready for that uh, future that lies ahead of them. And, and yeah, many of them are uh, facing a very different future from, from what they are doing today. So um, we've been talking about the automotive uh, sector beforehand, big changes there, manufacturing in Germany, big changes, right? Um, the finance sector is being changed a lot. Uh, so there is so many challenges that, that our customers face and look towards us. And um, yeah, I think uh, we are primed to to creating the right solutions and approaches with them. Um, maybe you can give us some of your um, coolest use case scenarios which you had during the last eight months. Uh, maybe some of them that gave you white hair because somebody didn't understand, or uh, maybe somewhere you were like, "Oh God, they should have known this already." Um, maybe you can give us some. It, it, you, I'm sure it's okay if you can't put names, but just uh, maybe to um, maybe yeah. some horse horse bodies that were buried somewhere in the United States, like Francois gave us a couple of weeks ago. That was an interesting episode. A bisschen aus dem Nähkästchen, no? That's how we yeah. say it in Germany. Exactly. Um, now, look, I mean, um, as you can see, the I know the listeners can't see, but I don't have white hair. So um, there wasn't too many of them that gave me white hair, maybe. Um, but of course, I mean, we are we're facing very interesting um, uh, challenges uh, day to day. Right. Um, I mean, again, I'm picking on the automobile industry, I think it's in Germany is a, is a very important one. And um all of uh, the development around autonomous driving and and so-called advanced driver assistance systems, which is ADAS, um, is a massive challenge um, because if you look at that, I mean, you, you create like 80 terabyte per vehicle per day when you have those vehicles running around collecting data. And then, I mean, they have fleets of 100 cars and this is 8 petabyte a day, right? You don't 
you don't will not store all of this raw data you get it processed and whatsoever but still it's massive amounts of data and um the challenge of of collecting all of this storing it in the right way and then of course also making it available for replay all the time um is a very big challenge that um we were solving with some of our customers um there's other things which uh, we talked a little bit about um artificial intelligence beforehand and and we many times we look into that in our private lives and what is been done there but also of course in the industrial life i mean if you look at production companies that that manufacture thing uh things when you um collect the data from these production machines and you put it through artificial intelligence then um you are able to um find out in a much earlier stage which product tends to be failing um so you can take it out in a much earlier stage in the production phase and thereby save a lot of costs which is another project that we implemented but um um when we maybe go a little bit more into what everybody can relate in in their daily lives to um there's also very interesting um very interesting engagements that we do for example with uh, racing companies right um in in the in the formula 1 mclaren is one of the um uh, uh, teams that we work with and uh, it's absolutely fascinating when you look at the a formula 1 car on 200 sensors that they have implemented there 13000 data points that you access and where you collect this data and then you work with that and make the race car better and i mean when you look over a season then at the start of the season you have a completely different car than at the end of the season and this is all being driven by collecting and using the data to improve it little by little and little by little yeah and there you go and then do something uh, completely different um uh, out of uh, the data and then in the end you're faster than beforehand right so stuff like that um we're also working uh, with uh, with um uh finance uh, companies that uh, need to understand on um of course the all the buying uh, patterns and of course all the transactions that are being done now then uh, more than ever also in germany there is a, a big use of um credit cards and debit cards of course all these transactions need to be secured need to be um somehow yeah created value out of um so that's a very interesting piece of um of work that we are doing and yeah m- many more of that um that you all will also have maybe impacting your life in the near future so it's it's a race of technology not only for mclaren but for every sector yeah, but, um, did, 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 tim did you see <laughs> how he well smiled put, when yeah. he started talking about formula One? <laughs> we talked yeah. about that with florian already so it's 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 yeah. it's just um how do you say the, the boy in the man uh, uh you can't take the boy out of the man I yeah know. exactly yeah exactly. no um, so exactly in the, but, uh, but how does this work now i'm curious now. so all these senses yeah. so what kind of thing they give like oh if you if you put the spoiler on the left like two centimeters two two micro millimeters down you that data point will come up or like uh, okay so what does Dell do then with McLaren like you guys give them the sensors or you give them the the no, no, no. the software architecture yeah. behind reading the data or exactly i mean the the it technology that is required to um store and work with all of that data that they get from the sensors there's special sensor companies that um do that uh, it's the sensors are the same that are used in aviation because a formula 1 car is much more comparable to a plane than 
to an actual car in many aspects because it's all about the um, aerodynamics. Um, so, um, yeah, but but what we do with them is really to help them store and work with the data afterwards and have it ready. I mean, like readily real time available and do real time simulations on strategy also that they can do we had a cool event that's maybe also why i'm so passionate about it we had a cool <laughs> event uh, together with customers which was actually virtual so we had it together with my mclaren where we went virtually behind the scenes where we were live then uh, in their in their uh, garage where they were uh, making ready the cars and whatsoever and um, they also talked about strategy and what whatever they can implement to make the car faster and uh, um, yeah, make the uh, race uh, more successful for them. So, cool stuff. Yeah. So, so basically, Lewis Hamilton is uh, number one in flight simulator because basically everything is <laughs> potentially. <I don't laughs> like he still has to drive it. He still has to drive it, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. I know. Okay, yeah. Lewis, if you go a little bit earlier here, this is the yeah. outcome of the race. I, I mean, it's great. I mean, this is this is where. Um, just shows great teamwork how a lot of companies work together to um what i think is this year's number seven world championship or number yeah. eight even mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's yeah. interesting how many things get in the background into it um, i know i mean yeah. and then again i mean it's the, the 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 thing about data is of course formula one is a is an example that we all many of us can get passionate about but i mean like data itself um for many companies is basically becoming an asset and more and more companies are realizing that to be an asset i mean we had um i i'm using an example which is uh, quite interesting and also sometimes a bit funny for many is um uh when an airplane gets bankrupt uh, and an airline gets bankrupt um oftentimes the loyalty program that they have in place gets sold at a higher price than the actual airline itself. So there you can see, I mean, the loyalty program is just comprised of data. We had another example, which was in the US when um, there was one of the uh, of the big hotels and casinos, um, which was filing chapter 11, and they did the, 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 the um, evaluation of their assets. And also there, uh, the, the sole um, loyalty program was valued at over a billion dollar of, of of value and there you can see that data is for many um, companies becoming such a valuable asset um, that you just yeah need to take very good care of that and um, i <clears throat> i would uh, just state that uh, dell technology is very good at uh, taking care of that and making sure you can do the best with your data <laughs> back to the, it comes back to the magic of data, um, one of Tim's yeah. favorite topics. Right. So was it Trump's casino that was evaluated, or, or did that go? <laughs> did that one go bankrupt long ago? I think it, it went bankrupt long ago. Um, uh, I, I think Joe Biden bought it off Trump for, <laughs> <laughs> for an extra day in the White House. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, sure. No, but there is definitely the notion that data is the new gold or new oil. Um, how um, relatable or how much sense do you think does this comparison between data and um, oil or whatever uh, other resource make? Um, what do you think about this comparison? 
we've we've changed that term quite a while ago to saying data is the new sun because we like to think about more green energy, right? Um, so and it is unlimited uh, but, <laughs> and not scarce. That's the thing, right? Exactly. I agree there with you. you. Go. There you go. There you go. Um, like so yeah. Um, so. But yes, I, I mean, look, I'm, I, I come from a history of um, making a lot of um, the data as a valuable asset accessible for um, customers and companies. And um, uh, as we shift more and more towards digitalization, um, a digital business model doesn't work without data. The, the foundation of your digital business model is um, data. And when it was maybe beforehand a building that you needed to collect your people in and then to make them work together, now it's to give them access to the right amount of data, right? And they can work from anywhere, which is the change that mm -hmm. we are seeing. So um, it is very important um, that a, a company evaluates the business model they're in and they have. And um, if that's a business model mm -hmm. that can benefit from data, or even relies on data, then you need to treat data as one of your most valuable assets. Right. It's very interesting what you say, giving people the access to the right data. It ties in with the notion of um, data enablement, making people mm -hmm. able to work with data, which then again um, implies to make them understand what data is and how it's to use at all levels. So even the factory worker on the shop floor, for example, who doesn't necessarily yeah. have any data literacy, voila, the, the, the buzzword. Uh, what, what, what does they all do in terms of data literacy or data enablement? Is there some special approach or how do you, how do you approach um, data literacy? I mean, um, actually, I don't exactly perfectly know um, what what you mean by data literacy we are I mean when it comes to how we use data or how our employees use data we of course educate them about um, uh, what data is there available also how to use it in the uh, right way to be compliant to be ethically correct to respect all the data privacy laws and um, what have you uh, that's a big thing that we are doing with our um, with our people internally um, I don't know if, if that was what you were reflecting to or if there is another um, yeah sure like, no yeah no no data literacies I mean uh, there is there is many definitions I believe but in in normally I think it's just having people talk about the same thing when they talk about data. Mm -hmm. So um, um, basically making everybody in the company understand um, the data and what needs to be done with data in the same way. I think that's basic. Okay. That's, that's just a definition yeah. I just made up, but I think that that, that covers <laughs> okay. it more or less. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. So, but then um, I understand that you, that you work in this direction um, already anyways. Um, right. But um, in terms of uh, use cases, um, do you have any more use cases like except the um, automotive sector or financial one I think you spoke very briefly about? Mm -hmm. Or are there some other customer stories that you'd like to to show yeah, off here? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think also a very interesting um, aspect is um, what we do in the retail sector. Um, it's... Uh, very interesting when you look at what uh, data can um, do in that 
um, aspect also, for example, with in-shop solutions. So where you then analyze uh, data, whether that being anonymized uh, movement on how customers are moving through a store on um, where they look at and where you need to position the product to be best viewed or best sold. Um, uh, also in regards to, of course, in suggestion of how to price products, yeah, to correlate on which price um, things sell the best. Um, then you can even go ahead and and uh, correlate um, uh, like data, which are um, weather forecasts, specific events and whatsoever in order to give you the right um, pricing strategy for the right date, um, for the right amount of product and of course connect then sourcing to it. So um, there is very interesting things that you can do um, all around this whole um, retail aspect. Um, also, when it comes to, um, to to shopping without shops being opened, that's also very interesting. We have a couple of customers that um, do also solutions where you just project on um, on your shop window. Yeah, and then um, outside of in-shop solutions, there's also things like um, that you can enable people to shop on your window um, without your shop being open. So there's things there where we project um, like interaction possibilities to basically shop directly what you can see in the window shop, for example, um, without even uh, having to touch it. So it's, there's really cool solutions also in this whole field of, um, of retail. And uh, we're also working together with um, uh, yeah, sports uh, clothes companies um, where you would then go and and have your um, own product being made within the store. So, um, of course, you need a lot of data to measure yourself. You would uh, potentially go walk or run on a on 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 a in a specific area where you then captured, and then you get your shoe made exactly to your needs or. Um, your clothes exactly um, to what you need and basically you 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 get that ready made within the store within like one hour you can even look at how it's being produced or whatever it's really there's i think um cool stuff that um, we all can see that technology brings to our life excellent excellent uses i look forward to um my new sports garment then in <laughs> right. well by when do you think that will that will be ready like is that already a yeah. um a pilot or is it uh, yeah. industrialized? With, with the in-store productions, there's already pilots being uh, run as we speak. Of course, you then need to have um, open shops again <laughs> in order to make that work. But um, that's something that I think within the next two years, we will definitely see um, within shops. Excellent. Okay, I'll get myself ready. Cool. <laughs> Bye then. Cool. Well, I think it was a really nice um, overview on um, digitalization, but also then the value of data. Um, I think both are very strongly intertied, even though data-driven and digitalization maybe not necessarily the same. Um, but yeah. that's that's for another podcast. Um, many thanks from uh, from my side for participating. Um, I guess we do it as always, Paul. We just leave um, the last word to the guest, and 
I'm 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 curious about one question we forgot to ask. Right. Um, right. Which is um, what's Benjamin's favorite Christmas song? <laughs> ah, yeah, because we're now in a, we're now okay. in the Christmas period. We had this go. question. Right. There we go. There we go. Yeah. We're not going to make you sing it. That's good. I mean, unless you want to. No, I don't. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be good at that. <laughs> I've done that internally um, already enough. <laughs> but uh, what's your favorite Christmas song, and why is it this song? Actually, it's a, a very German one, so I don't know how how well that plays for the international um, <laughs> listeners. But it's called In der Weihnachtsbäckerei, and it's because ah. it's because my kids love listening to it, and it talks about when cookies are being baked and what all fun stuff happens in a kitchen while doing that and yeah i i really like to listen uh, to it with my kids when we're making christmas cookies so that's the reason it's it's funny because um <clears throat> so my partner she's british and i have satellite tv <laughs> and on friday evening was the id which is the first german station uh, advanced concert right yeah. and I, I would normally never watch things like this but i'm a bit homesick at the moment okay. maybe so it was like a proper schlager <laughs> like proper like with florian silver eyes and, and they did that song yeah uh, there you <laughs> go <laughs> and it was just like she she just looked at me. She's like, "That's so cringe. That's so strange." Yeah. She's like, "She's like, she's like the Germans. Like, you just love the disco too much, yeah. and like, even at Christmas." <laughs> and it's like, and of course, um, it couldn't be missed. The Kelly family was there as well. Oh. And then I was trying to explain to her how the Kelly family is so famous in Germany, but nowhere else in the world. <laughs> and then she said, "Oh, this goes back to the stereotype of the Germans liking David Hasselhoff too much, oh, right? Because yeah, yeah. David Hasselhoff." <laughs> and the next thing you're going to um, need to explain to her is why uh, dinner for one is such a thing in Germany and no one in England even knows it, right? <laughs> even it's English, I mean. So, uh, so, so uh, our, our, our um, New Year's Eve this year, we're going to have some friends coming over. Yeah. And um, I was, she was like, so what's going to be on the agenda? And I was like, well, you know, the usual stick like, oh not this bloody dinner for one and i was like well it's it's part of the german tradition and she's like the british don't think it's funny and i was like, i don't care what the british think if it's funny or not i mean like this is the german sense of humor uh, but this is like um yeah but for everybody out there dinner for one there is a, a remake by stefan raab which he did in um 2006 or something when he still had the, the tv show okay. and uh, it's it's. I think he even got the guy from Hausmeister Krause and all okay. these things. But that's for the German listeners out there. So um, wow. it's a little bit notch up, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see that. Cool. Okay, um, Miss Sophie, the same procedure as every year. Um, Benjamin, um, the same procedure as every podcast. So the last word is with the guest. All right, James. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, um, last words. I... Thank you, uh, first and foremost, for inviting me. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was a great conversation with you guys. Um, I hope it uh, it uh, was also very interesting for your listeners. Uh, thanks for um, yeah talking about our Road to 2030 podcast a little bit and uh, exchanging thoughts. Um, I think the Uptime Punks um, are really up to something. Um, look, uh, let me leave everybody out there with, uh, with uh, one thing. If you can dream it, you can achieve it, right? And um, I think um, if we all pull together, we can create our digital future um, together um, to make this whole place a better world. So um, let's do it. Great words. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Hey, Tim. Right. So, uh, what's the air purity in your room? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I should open the window. And now that everybody knows uh, what my favorite uh, Christmas song is, um, there will be, I, I think I have uh, one or two more. Uh, you'll find about uh, about this. It's almost like every episode is a calendar where we learn about our favorite Christmas songs. Um <laughs> I hope we don't get sued for playing it in the beginning. Or, oh, oh, I played five seconds. I, I mean, think they, they are, but even that was sampled from somewhere else, but so they, we, they can't really claim it. We'll see. Um, so, right, if you hear this and think about um, suing us, <laughs> call us first and <laughs> come on the podcast. We talk about it. And uh, <laughs> we, we, I mean, we can't, we can't be uptime punks about like three little... Breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking the law somewhere at some point. Um, I thought it was really great. Um, I didn't know that there's 2,000 data points on a Formula One car. That's ridiculous. Know I, isn't it's, 13, it's crazy. Just think about 13, it. 13,000, isn't it? 13,000. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like, like a mosquito, like, boom, against the car, immediately the sensors go, woo, mosquito, uh, half a milligram more weight. Um, I don't know, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's mad technology, and uh, I mean, it's it's. You could argue about the utility of Formula One, but it's it's. I think it's there where um, stuff like um, this gets tested and proved, and it doesn't mean that it's it's um, useless, even if it's for Formula One. Um, so many, by the way, so many you can you can transfer all this to other technologies uh, in so the where it's where it's where it's useful actually. So, so for uh, example, for everybody to know, like for example, the ABS, right, which didn't exist before, ABS comes, which is the braking system. I come from automotive background, so I know about these things. Um, so ABS comes from the Formula One, um, the same way as um, automatic gears comes from Formula One. Mm. So these are all things which were like basically taken out of the Formula One and then transferred into the day-to-day um, -day use of autom uh, automotive industry. Um, of course, one of your favorite topics, Tim, which was the magic of data and mm -hmm. data protection and uh, all of that thing with it, which comes with it as usual, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was which was quite interesting. But um, yeah. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, like we said, let us know your favorite COVID gadget, even if you want to let us know your favorite Christmas song. Um, and we hope you guys have a really great Christmas time and you guys have a lovely Happy New Year in advance if this is the last episode you're going to listen to this year. I hope um, not. Well, <laughs> of course not. But anyways, um, please subscribe on um, Spotify and on Apple Music. And um, well, we're always uh, looking forward to your feedback. And yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.